In Luke's gospel, the parable of the prodigal son that we just read comes from chapter 15. But actually, the chapters in the scriptures are arbitrary divisions. They weren't placed there by the authors. They are simply a modern editorial convention. But truth be told, sometimes the flow of a particular gospel does not always lend itself to be broken, to being broken down into coherent subparts. But in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, there are three parables that have a good relation to one another. First, the parable of the lost sheep. And then second, the parable of the lost coin. And then third, the parable of the lost son, or as we are more likely to call it, the parable of the prodigal son. Each parable is designed to illustrate a different aspect of the fundamental principle of forgiveness. The principle that forgiveness rests upon radical love that transcends mere reason. In theology, we often use the term mystery to describe something like the Trinity or the Incarnation or the sacraments. We say that such and such things are mysteries because they cannot be fully comprehended by our reason. I forgot where I first heard it, but I've always thought that the best definition of a Christian mystery is this, a truth so profound that it cannot be grasped by mere reason, but only by an act of love. And that is why forgiveness itself is properly called a Christian mystery. It's not something that we can fully explain. We can't articulate its parameters or its depths. It's something that we simply experience, whether it's forgiveness bestowed upon us by God or others, or bestowed by us on others. Some of you might be familiar with Alexis de Tocqueville's classic work, Democracy in America. Tocqueville was a French aristocrat who came to our country in the 1830s and studied the political and cultural trappings of this strange new country called the United States of America. One of Tocqueville's central insights was that the strength of American democracy rested on the concept of self-interest rightly understood. You might might have heard it called rational self-interest or enlightened self-interest. He saw that Americans believed that the common good was best served by people pursuing their individual self-interest but in the context of a strong sense of the social compact, which meant, for example, respecting other people's rights so that they would respect yours, allowing other people to live in freedom so that you would have the freedom to live as you please. There's certainly a value in this insight, and even the church endorses it to a limited extent in its political and social teachings. For example, the church endorses a generally free market and a generally free social order, not as truths or ends in themselves, but as the most workable means by which people can follow their vocations to serve God in peace and security. But when you really boil it down, the gospel message cannot be reduced to self-interest rightly understood or any other such similar concept because ultimately the gospel is a radical call to love. To love is to will the good of another. The greatest love that we can give or receive is forgiveness, and that cannot be reduced to mere reason, 
or mutual interest. In the inner life of the Most Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in a perfect, unchangeable communion of love. There is no wrongdoing or failure, and so there is no need of forgiveness. But for human beings inhabiting this world of chaos and sin, love finds its zenith in forgiveness. Blessed John Henry Newman put it best when he said, In a higher world it is otherwise, but here below to live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often. Each time we forgive or are forgiven, a radical change takes place in us. The change wrought by forgiveness cannot be precisely accounted for. But when we experience it, we know that we are experiencing the very essence of divine love. We as created beings are experiencing the life of the Trinity being perfected in us. Each of the parables from Luke 15 provides us with hints of the great mystery that is forgiveness and reconciliation. Hints that highlight to us what might be the block in our own lives, either in seeking forgiveness from God himself or in seeking to forgive others for the wrongs that they have done to us. The first parable is about the lost sheep. Jesus asks, What man among you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them would not leave the ninety-nine in the desert and go after the lost one until he finds it? This question is meant with supreme irony, because to a shepherd, no one sheep is that valuable. No sane shepherd would risk the 99 in order to save the one. Yet that is not the case with our Lord. Neither can it be the case with us as Christians. We can never introduce the concept of utility into Christian forgiveness. We can ask, What's in it for me if I forgive my brother or sister? Our Lord forgives us without regard to the risk that we can and probably will sin again. We too must never shy away from the risk of forgiving others or seek our own interest or advantage in choosing to forgive. Similarly, in the parable of the lost coin, we have the woman who treasured her collection of ten coins. The reference to her having ten coins suggests that the coins were fashioned into a necklace or some other sort of jewelry. It would have been the kind of gift that a Jewish man would have given to his bride. The coins would have had a meaning to her far beyond their monetary value. So when the woman finds the lost coin, she calls her friends and neighbors to celebrate. Now, in the Jewish culture of that time, you couldn't celebrate without putting out food and wine for your guests. No doubt she spent more in catering the celebration than the coin was worth. A coin has no intrinsic value or utility apart from its face value. In other words, it is what people say it is. That's sadly too often true of human beings as well. We judge others, and often ourselves, by the label or the mark that the world puts on us, just as a coin is stamped to indicate its value. But that is not the way that the Lord sees us. Our Lord sees each of us as intrinsically valuable, and thus able to be forgiven no matter what we do. A failure to recognize this keeps many from seeking the sacraments of confession. 
And too often, it keeps us from forgiving others as well. Because sadly, we often judge sins against the status or lack thereof of the person sinning or of the persons sinned against. Rather than following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hated all sin but loved all sinners. Finally, we have the parable of the prodigal son. This parable teaches us that we can't approach forgiveness as a matter of just deserts. No one has any right to divine forgiveness, but by the graciousness of the new covenant, none who are genuinely contrite are ever denied it. The prodigal son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. This young man was saying in effect to his father, you are dead to me, I just want my inheritance. He showed this in the fact that after he received his sum, he departed from his father, and there could be no greater insult that this man could have given to his father. Yet it was his father who ran out to meet his son as he made his way back in disgrace, not just to forgive him, but to celebrate his homecoming. This is the great mystery of forgiveness, of reconciliation. Of course, we would never sin simply for the sake of reconciling, but it is the case that the triumph of forgiveness affects a change in us that brings us closer to perfection. It is, in fact, a great paradox. Again, the words of blessed John Henry Newman, in a higher world it is otherwise, but here below to live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often. Today the church celebrates Latare Sunday, our day of rejoicing in the midst of this Lenten season. Holy Mother Church does not give us this day because we have been doing such a great job with our Lenten disciplines, such that we have earned a little break. At least I haven't, I don't know about you. But rather to show us that no matter where we are on the penitential path of Lent, it is the joy of reconciliation to God made possible by Christ's sacrifice on the cross that awaits us. A joy that comes to us even now in the very mystery that we are forgiven, even as we journey through this season of Lent, seeking after forgiveness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.